بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله وصفيه وخليله ورسله الله بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على دين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا اما بعد um, today will be lesson 3 in our series of fasting with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and <clears throat> today inshallah ta'ala we're going to talk about or we're going to pick up where we left off we, last lesson we talked about suhoor and some of the companions their experience of taking the suhoor meal with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam what time he took the suhoor how long was the suhoor between the adhan and the, the between the adhan um what he ate for suhoor um, what happened if he woke up one morning and he didn't have his suhoor and he continued fasting? We talked about all of those things. You guys should be scholars, as it relates to every issue attached to the suhoor. I, there's not a question I should throw out there about suhoor, except that you should be able to answer the question. Right? So what happens if a person wakes up late and they don't have their suhoor? Should they continue fasting? Or they don't have to fast? How are you going to fast without having suhoor? Yeah, you make the intentions, but I want Dalil. I want the evidence that I gave you. What's the proof? Yes. What's the word for sexual impurity? I gave you the Arabic word too. Junub. Well, Janaba. Right. He was in the state of sexual impurity when he woke up. And what did he do? He made a ghusl, he prayed fajr, and he continued fasting. Absolutely. So if a sister asks you a question, I didn't have my sahur meal, I shouldn't have to fast. No, the Prophet wasallam, Allah will suffice you. Don't worry about that. You'll be okay. You're not going to die. Trust me. Okay. So we cover everything related to Suhoor, and we're going to walk through his whole day. So now after having Suhoor, then the Prophet Sallallahu prayed, and prayed Fajr, and then after Fajr, what did he do? And we're going to walk through his whole day, okay? So I'll put some items on the board, inshallah ta'ala, I'll read those for those of you who can't see. Uh, the first thing is the barakah, the blessing of this ummah is in the morning. The barakah of this ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is in the morning, and we'll talk about that barakah, that blessed time. Number two, the angels they sit and they listen to the recitation of Quran at Salatul Fajr. All right, so at Salatul Fajr, there are angels that sit and listen to the recitation of Quran. Whoever says La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la lahu mulk wa lahu alhamd wa yuhyi wa yumit wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir ten times there are six blessings that come to you for saying that ten times you know how long it would take you to say that ten times less than ten minutes it would take you every bit about four or five minutes to say that ten times it's right here on the board I'll say it again la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la lahu almulk wa lahu alhamd yuhyi wa yumit وَهُوَ عَلَىٰ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ 
Uh, we'll, we'll, when we get to that point, we'll, we'll talk about that more. Six blessings that come to a person. This is one of the athqar al-sabah, one of the morning remembrances that our tongue should always be wet with this remembrance in the morning. Number four, the permissibility of being normal, adi. The word for normal in Arabic is adi. The permissibility of being normal while you're fasting. Some of us, we go overboard. We are real extra when it comes to fasting. It's like, it's Ramadan. I, it's like, I mean, like, okay, it's Ramadan. But that doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, excessive, right? It's, you can be adi. You can be normal. The Prophet ﷺ was normal while he fasted. And we'll give you an example, a glimpse at the Prophet ﷺ laughing and talking about some of the issues of jahiliyyah. Some of the stuff they used to do before they became Muslim. While he was fasting. Learning how to humanize the Prophet ﷺ. The word for humanize or to be human is insaniya. Insaniya, which means to be normal, to, to be human. To see the Prophet ﷺ as a human being. All right? Um, number six, the wife will follow the practices of her husband. We're going to see that the Prophet ﷺ did something in the home and made a practice out of it. And then we're going to fast forward or we're going to take a, roll the tape a little bit, and we're going to see his wife or his wives doing the exact same thing, even in his absence. Because when there's a good man, a religious man in the home, usually a woman respects that, and she's going to follow those practices even in his absence. Um, some of the things that are permissible for us to do while we're fasting, brushing your teeth, we're going to talk about that. Uh, pouring water over your head or rinsing your mouth out with water. Sometimes it's hot if you're a laborer or if you spend a lot of time outside. You make it hot. It's permissible for you to pour water on your head or rinse your mouth out with water or wet your clothes just to kind of make you feel a little better while you're fasting. And also to kiss your wife. Do we supposed to do away with, you know, compassion and love and, you know, kisses mean things. Kiss is an expression, is a form of expression. It's a form of mercy, compassion, right? So we'll talk about all of that, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. So if there's no questions, then we'll begin, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam ataslimin kathira. So we discussed in the last lesson the suhoor of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and all of the issues that were related to the suhoor. Now we want to take a look at the day in the life of the Prophet ﷺ after suhoor. And we should know that the blessing of this ummah is found in the morning. The Prophet ﷺ, he would engage in worship after Salatul Fajr because this is a, a time, a waqt mubarak. It is a blessed time. Just like he said, suhoor, take suhoor, tasahharu, fa'inna fi suhoor barakah. Take the suhoor meal because in the suhoor meal there is a barakah. There's a blessing that comes to you as a result of the suhoor meal. Does anyone know the blessing that is in suhoor? If you were here for the class, you should have it in your notes. What is the blessing in suhoor? Uh-huh. Okay, so there's a blessing in the dunya and a blessing in the hereafter. The blessing in the dunya is... The fact that you got up and you ate. And even though it's just a, a handful of water or, you know, a couple of dates, Allah will put barakah in that meal that you ate that will suffice you, satiate you all the way up until it's time for you to break your fast. Allah can take a little and make it a lot. Right? What is the blessing of the hereafter when you get up for suhoor?
The blessing of the hereafter for getting up. We said the blessing in Suhoor is related to this dunya and related to the hereafter. What is the blessing of Suhoor that is in the hereafter? Come on, all you note takers. Yes. Now. Okay. When you get up for Sahur, everything that you do after the Sahur is the blessing of Sahur. Because the fact that you got up for Sahur means that you're going to repeat after the Mu'adhan, you're going to make the dua after the Mu'adhan finishes, you're going to pray your Turaqah, Sunnah, you're going to pray Salatul Fajr. After you pray Fajr, you're going to read Quran. And all of that is as a result of you getting up for Sahur. If you get up just enough time for Fajr, then you miss all of that. So the fact that you get up for Sahur, all right, you benefit from everything that comes after that. So that is the blessing of Sahur. So come on, you guys should be scholars, man. I want to give you guys an ijazat for this course. Yes. Right. I'm not answering that. I want you guys to answer his question. His question was, if Fudger comes in at 4 o'clock and you get up at 4.30, you cannot have your sahur? You just got to begin your day fasting? Somebody answer his question. With Dalil. What's the Dalil? The Prophet ﷺ got up and it was time for Fudger. He did not have his sahur meal. He made ghusl. He prayed Fudger and he began his day fasting. He never ate sahur. He missed it. You have to have Suhoor, uh, even if it's a minute before Fajr. When the then for Fajr goes off, the time for Suhoor is done. Okay? Answer your question? With Dalil. All right? I want you guys to be able to answer questions with evidence, not just from your own desires. With evidence. Yes? Somebody answer the question. The Prophet said that? It's an ayah in the Quran. Allah said that. She said her question was, how does calling the Adhan correlate to distinguishing the white thread from the dark thread as it was mentioned in the ayah? Because the Adhan is called, the Prophet said, eat when you hear the Adhan of who? Bilal. He said, but when you hear the adhan of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum, stop, because Fajr's in. Tayyip, answer the question with Dalil. Dalil, you guys are making me feel bad because I'm feeling like I didn't do my job. Any question that come up about Suhoor, you guys are scholars as it relates to Suhoor, you should already know the answer. All right? This is called empowering you. I'm empowering you to make myself unnecessary. You don't have to say, Brother Imam, you know, I, this sister has a question. No, you answer the question. Come on, you sat in the classes. When are we going to start learning the, all of this knowledge that we're seeking, all of this information that we're receiving about the religion? When are we going to start using that? That becomes, you know, you learning. Go out into, you know, the atmosphere and the Twitter sphere and, you know, Facebook and answer the questions. You guys are equipped. Okay, so 
the barakah of this ummah is found in the morning. And this is the time that the Prophet ﷺ would engage in worship and he would also make a certain dua in the morning because there was barakah in the morning. Um, on the authority of Anas ibn Malik anhum, who said, خَرَجْنَا لَيْلَةٍ مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم في شهر رمضان the Prophet was Anas ibn Malik, he said that we left out with the Prophet on a journey one night in the month of Ramadan. In the month of Ramadan, we left out with the Prophet on a journey. And we passed by um, some houses belonging to the Ansar and we saw, we saw lights lit up in the homes. And the Prophet ﷺ asked Anas, what are these mahadihi niran? What are these lights in their homes? Like they used to burn candles during that time. They didn't have um, lights, electricity, right? They burn candles. What, what are these lights in the homes? And Anas ibn Malik said, O Messenger of Allah, the Ansar, yatasaharuna. You know, they, they get up early in the morning to take their suhoor. And the Prophet Sallallahu said, Allahumma barik li ummati fi bukuriha. Oh Allah, bless my ummah in its early morning. The blessing of my ummah is in the early morning. For some of us that's problematic because we're not morning people. We like to sleep until 12, 11 in the afternoon. The, the mushkira, the problem with that is that the time in which Allah distributes his bounty, his provision to his servants is early in the morning. The Prophet ﷺ, as the narration of Anasi mentions, that the Prophet ﷺ, ما كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يبعث سرية أو جيشا إلا يبعثهم في أول النحاق. The Prophet ﷺ never sent an army out to go fight, except that he sent them out when? In the early morning. Because it was barakah in the morning. He wanted his sahabi, he wanted his companions to benefit from the barakah that is in the morning. He would never send an army out except he would send them out in the morning. And they said, وَمَا كَانَ سَخْرٌ تَاجِرًا فَكَانَ لَهُ غِلْمَانٌ فَيَبْعَثَهُ بِتِجَارَتِهِ فِي أَوَّلِ النَّحَارِ فَكَثْرًا مَالَهُ That businessmen from the sahaba, if they had young servant boys, they would send them out with their merchandise in the morning to go set up in the marketplace in the early morning. And they would, they would generate a lot of wealth during that day when they did that because the barakah of our ummah is in the morning. The barakah of this ummah is in the morning. I know for some of us that's not going to change anything. We're still going to sleep to 10, 11, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I understand that. But there should be a small portion of your morning that you get up and you take advantage of the barakah that is in the morning. We are not night people. That is not our methodology as Muslims. That's not our tradition. The Prophet ﷺ said to bring your children in the home at the time of Maghrib. Because that is the time when the shayateen come out. And it's sad when you leave out of the masjid and you're driving home through the streets of Philadelphia and you see kimars and, and, and kufis on the street corners. La wallahi, we're not night people. We don't hang out at night. That's not, we don't do that. Because the barakah of our ummah is in the morning. We get up early in the morning when Nasu Niyam, while people are asleep, and we take advantage, you seize the opportunity. Right? So, 
the Prophet ﷺ never sent an army out except in the morning. And the merchants from the Sahaba would not, you know, go out except that they would go out in the morning and set up their, their tables so they can sell their merchandise early in the morning because the barakah of our ummah is in the morning. And this is one of the times that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala distributes his provision, which is in the morning. If the, it wasn't like um, during the time of the Prophet wasallam, there weren't like jobs where you knew you was going to get a paycheck. These were people, merchants, who used to get up, go to the marketplace with their fruits and their vegetables and their jewelry, and, and they would hustle, not knowing where their provision is coming from. And they would go out early in the morning, understanding that the barakah of our ummah is in the morning time. So they would leave out early to go set up shop. And the Prophet sallallahu wasallam as Umm Salama, she said, كَانَ نَبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِذَا صَلَّى الصُّبْحِ حِينَ يُسَلِّمْ قَالَ أَلَّهُمَّ إِنِّي أَسْأَلُكَ عِلْمًا نَافِعًا وَرِزْقًا طَيِّبًا وَعَمَلًا صَالِحًا مُتَقَبَّلًا Umm Salama, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, she said that when the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wasallam would pray Salatul Subh, what is Salatul Subh? What is Subh? Huh? What? Patience? No, I didn't say sabr. I said subh. Sad ba ha. Subh. Nope. Before sunrise, he used to pray salatul subh. What is salatul subh? Salatul fajr. <laughs> salatul fajr. Subh means the morning. It's another word for fajr. Fajr means dawn. And so does subh. So in some narrations, when you're reading the Arabic, right, you'll say, you'll read the Prophet Sallallahu Subh. What is Salatul Subh? Salatul Fajr. Yes. Huh? Early? Yes. Fajr time. Um Salama said that when the Prophet Sallallahu would pray Salatul Subh, would pray Salatul Fajr, after he would make the Taslim, he would supplicate with this dua. Allahumma inni as'aluka ilman nafi'an. Oh Allah, I ask you for beneficial knowledge. Wa rizqan tayyiba. And I ask you for halal provision. Wa amalan salihan mutakabbala. And I ask you for righteous deeds that will be acceptable to you. And he will make this dua in the morning and ask Allah for rizqan tayyiba. And ask Allah for halal provision because this was the time, Fajr, after Fajr is the time when Allah distributes his provision to his servants. So, while after Salatul Fajr is a blessed time, it's important for us to make sure that after we take Suhoor, we pray Salatul Fajr, that we take advantage of that, even if it's for a short span of time, take advantage of that time that is Mubarak, that is blessed. The angels, they sit and they listen to the recitation of Salatul Fajr. Rather, it is Mu'id Ta'aqub for the angels. The angels that are with us, recording angels, on your right and on your left, they go everywhere with you with the exception of when you are intimate with your spouse and when you go to use the bathroom. Those are the only two times that these angels, they leave you alone. Outside of that, they are with you everywhere you go. They write down everything you do, everything you say. However, these angels, they only stay with you from Asr to Fajr. From Asr to Fajr. So those are the two meeting times that the angels change shifts. So the angels 
When Asa times come, they close up your book and then they take your book up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then two other angels come down with a new book and they begin recording. So after Salatul Asr, every day we're starting a new chapter of our lives. Literally, a new chapter of our lives begin. We just pray Salatul Asr. A new chapter of our lives have already begun. And after Salatul Fajr, they change shifts at Asr and Fajr. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned an authentic hadith collected in Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim. Here we go again, another hadith that mentions Salatul Subh. Notice he didn't say Salatul Fajr. This is the second hadith that we've covered, and the word Fajr was not even mentioned. All right? So it's important for us to understand the dialect of, of, of the Arabs and understand the speech of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay? We are people, most of us English-speaking Muslims, we rely solely on the English translation of hadith and ayats of the Qur'an. While they may get you by in terms of your worship, you're going to run into a problem with trying to understand your deen. Just solely relying on English. Okay? So which is why I'm making it a point, uh, emphasis on Arabic and the words and where these root words, where the words come from. Okay? The Prophet ﷺ said, The Prophet ﷺ said that the angels that are with you during the night and the angels that are with you during the day, they gather at the time of Salatul Fajr and the time of Salatul Asr to change shifts. He said, For yes, uh, 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 he said, uh, and then the angels that were with us from Asr to Fajr, they leave us. And angels that are going to stay with us from Fajr all the way up until the next, uh, until Asr, they stay with us from that time. The angels that were with us from Asr to Fajr, they sit and they listen to the recitation of the Quran at Salatul Fajr. After the recitation of Quran is finished, those angels go up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When they reach Allah, Allah asks them, Kayfa taraktum ibadi? How did you leave my servants? And the angels they reply, We came to them and they were praying, meaning at Salatul Fajr. And we left them while they were praying, meaning at Salatul Asr. That we left them at Fajr while they were praying and we came to them at Asr while they were praying. That applies to some of us. There's some of us who don't get up for Fajr. Some of us who don't make it to the masjid for Salatul Asr. So what do the angels say about you? Did the angels say, we left them while they were praying and we came to them while they were praying? Or did the angels say to Allah, we came to them while they were engaged in sin and we left them while they were engaged in sin? How are the angels going to reply to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about you? Very important question. When the angels go up, when they leave you and go up to Allah, close your record for that day and go up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What are those angels saying to Allah about you? How they left you and what state did they leave you in? 
So it's important for us to be conscious of this. And it was a normal practice of the Prophet ﷺ after Salatul Fajr to engage in dhikr, to engage in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, telling us about the angels in Salatul Fajr, he said, وَأَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِدُلُوكِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَىٰ غَسَقِ اللَّيْلِ وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ إِنَّ الْقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, and established the salat at the two ends of the day, meaning in the morning and at night. He said, and recite the Qur'an as Salatul Fajr because indeed the Qur'an al-Fajri kana mashhuda. The recitation of Qur'an for Salatul Fajr is witnessed by angels. Before they go up to Allah, they sit and listen to the recitation of Qur'an. They sit and they listen to the recitation of Qur'an. And it was a normal practice of the Prophet ﷺ to engage in dhikr. As the morning time, not only is it a blessed time, it is also one of the times to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The designated times to remember Allah. As Allah says in the Qur'an, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu thkurullaha dhikran kathiran wa sabbihuhu wa asilam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O oh, you who believe, Uthkurullah dhikran kathira. Remember Allah with much remembrance. Wasabbihuhu bukratan wa asila. And praise Him in the day, in the morning, and at night. Bukratan, bukra is the word for morning. Bukratan wa asila. In the morning and at night. So that's why in the fortress of the Muslim book, you have adhkar as sabah wal masa. Remembrances for what? The day and the night. How many people have that book? How many people don't have the book? Let's do that. That's more important. If you don't have, raise your hands. Because if you don't, no, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. We're going to make sure you get the book. The next time that I'm here, which will be next Wednesday, I will bring a bag full of Fortress of Muslim book and make sure that you have it. Okay? That's the little pocket-sized book that fits right there in your pocket. It goes in your pocketbook. It goes wherever. It should go everywhere with you. It should be in your glove compartment. should be right there in your console, in your car. We should have memorized that book by now. In the Islamic University, we had to memorize that whole book. The whole book. Probably one of the greatest things that I've ever done besides memorize the Qur'an. To memorize that book, it's called the Fortress of the Muslim for a reason. Husnul Muslim, fortress, to put a fortress around yourself, to guard you and protect you with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet sallallahu after he would pray Salatul Fajr, he would sit and remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until sunrise. That was his normal habit. And it's hard to fathom or believe that the Prophet ﷺ would do this outside of Ramadan and not increase in that in Ramadan. As the Prophet ﷺ was asked, which deeds are most beloved to Allah? Which deeds does Allah do Allah love the most? And the Prophet ﷺ said, that the most beloved deeds to Allah are those that are done with continuity, even if they are small. Allah love Continue continuity in your deeds, meaning you do it all the time. The Prophet ﷺ told one of his companions, 
um, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, uh, ibn Mas'ud he said, Ya Abdullah, uh, or Ya Mu'adh, inni uhibbuka. Fillah, I love you for the pleasure of Allah. Lakin la takun mithru fulan. Kana yakumu layathuma tarkaha. He said, but don't be like such and such from my companions. He used to get up at night and pray to Hajjit, and then he stopped. The Prophet ﷺ is commanding Mu'adh not to be like this person because this is something that is disliked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you start doing something and then you stop doing it. All right? And that happens with most of us when we get married. We was on a roll when we were single. As the scholars say, مَا أَفْسَدَ طَلَبَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا مَا بَيْنَ فَخِذَيْ That the, the, the greatest destroyer of the desire to seek knowledge is what is in between the two legs of the woman. When a student of knowledge gets married, when he's single, he's diligent, vigilant, seeking knowledge, all his, spend all his time in imagine the moment he gets married, poof, disappears, never see him again. Nothing destroys the desire to seek knowledge like getting married. Don't be like such and such who used to get up at night and pray and then he stopped. When you find something easy for you to do in the religion, stick to it. The scholar says, Whoever finds a particular deed easy to do in Islam, then let him stick to it. I don't care how small, how insignificant it may seem. Stick to it. Bilal. The Prophet ﷺ heard his footsteps in Jannah before his own footsteps. For what? What was Bilal doing that was so magnificent? What was he doing? Every time he made wudu, he prayed to Raqqa. Very simple. But it was the continuity of it. The Prophet ﷺ said, فَبِهِمَا Then it is because of those two Raqqa'ah, every time you make wudu, that I hear your footsteps in paradise before my own. It's because of those two Raqqa'ah. A lot of us, we're looking for that, you know, that aha deed. I finally got this one deed that I'm going to do that's going to get me over the top, that's going to get me across the bridge, over the hellfire, that's going to get me in the paradise real quick, right? I had a conversation with a young sister who wanted to go fight with ISIS, right? Young sister from a particular country, not from America, from somewhere else. So someone knew that this particular sister wanted to go fight, ISIS, and she asked me if I would speak to her, give her some advice to talk her out of doing that. So when I asked her sister, I said, why do you want to go fight with ISIS? And she said, because I spent my whole life in sin, partying, sex, drugs. And she said, you know, that jihad is the best deed that we can do, and it's the quickest way to get to paradise. I said, so you looking for a quick fix? You looking to erase all of the lifetime of sin that you committed by just going to die, fi sabidillah. I said, and then on top of that, you don't even know if these people are fighting fi sabidillah. So you're about to go sacrifice your life with a group of people who claim to be on the truth, right? But we don't see any truth, right? Abdullah ibn Abbas went to go debate with the Khawadij. He said, when I entered upon them, I saw dark prostrations on their heads and I could hear the murmur of Quran coming from their mouths as the Prophet said that if you was to hear one of the Khawadij recite Quran, you would see their Salat, you would consider your Salat in comparison to theirs to be insignificant. They, they had the worship, they got the, the outward, they got the, you know, the, the, it looks good from the outside. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, He said, but when I entered upon them, although I saw the dark prostration marks from the Salat, and I can hear the murmur of Quran amongst them, I didn't see any of the Sahaba in, the, in their midst. 
How could they possibly be on right guidance and none of the Sahaba is amongst them? The people who the Qur'an was revealed about, ayats from the Qur'an, mentioning the companion's name like Zayd, ayats from the Qur'an mentioned about Khadija, ayats in the Qur'an mentioned about Abu Bakr, ayats in the Qur'an mentioned about Aisha, ayats in the Qur'an mentioned about Ka'b al-Ujra, Ka'b ibn Ujra, about Hajj and other ayats. These ayats were revealed about his companions. And you are going to disassociate yourself from the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, the people who the Qur'an was revealed to, the people who the Qur'an was revealed about. And you upon righteous guidance? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, don't, I'm, I can't believe that. He said all of the outward seemed apparent. They had the dark prostration marks on their forehead. You could hear the murmur of the Qur'an. But I noticed one thing. I didn't see any of the Sahaba amongst them. Something wrong with that picture. So I said to the young woman, you know, perhaps, you know, you're gambling with you going to fight with them and you believe you dying. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still might not forgive you. He still might not forgive you. But what you could do instead of trying to take a detour and trying to get a quick fix, right, trying to satisfy this insecurity that you have for spending a whole lifetime in sin and disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and spend the remaining days of your life in toba and repentance and atonement for those sins that you committed and perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you then. But you don't want to do that. You want a quick fix. I'm going to go die real quick, feast of and go to Jannah, and all my sins are going to be forgiven. La wallahi. La wallahi. I said, you're a coward. You are a coward. You don't want to spend the remaining days of your life, the remaining years of your life, begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness for all of the things that you've done in the past, in hope, living between fear and hope as we do as believers. But no, you want to go fight real quick and die, feast of I said, you're gambling. There's no guarantee that if you go out and fight with them and you die that you're going to paradise. No guarantee. I said some of the Prophet's companions fought on the battlefield and died and what it would appear to be feasibility and the Prophet said they are from the people of the hellfire. These were his companions. They're on the battlefield, they're walking past, they're seeing dead bodies on the ground. They said, Fulan Shaheed, such and such is a martyr. The Prophet said, Yes, he's a Shaheed. Fulan or Shaheed, such and such is a martyr, he's going to paradise. Fisa bin the Prophet said, Yes, he's a Shaheed. They said, Fulan is a Shaheed, he's going to Jannah. The Prophet said, No, he's from the people of the hellfire. They said, How, O Messenger of Allah? He's from the people of the hellfire. He said, Rather, I can hear his screams right now, his soul being tortured because of a shirt that he stole from the war goods before it was distributed to him. Being punished, already being punished. Another companion, another hadith, another incident, he's walking on a battlefield and he said, Fulan of Fulan is, is from the people of paradise. The Prophet said, no, he's from the people of the hellfire. He was a man who committed suicide. He had a wound in his back, he couldn't be patient. After the battle was over, he ran around the rock and he put the butt of his sword in the ground and he laid down on the sword and killed himself. From the people of the hellfire. This was his companion. So who are you to guarantee that if I go and fight with this one or that one, I'm going to paradise? There's no guarantee. These were the Prophet's companions who were on the battlefield fighting Fisabilah, and the Prophet said he's from the people of the hellfire. Fighting on the battlefield. The Sahaba said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, look at him. He's, he's from the people of the paradise. The Prophet said, No, he's from the people of the hellfire. 
The Sahaba, the narration mentioned that their hearts almost jumped out of their chest. They were conflicted because they're seeing him fight, but they heard the prophet say he's from the people of the hellfire. How do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile that? And then one of the Sahaba said he followed the guy after the battle and he watched him kill himself. And he came back and he said, I bear witness that the one who sent you with the truth that indeed he is from the people of the hellfire. I saw him kill himself. So, you know, there's, there's no guarantee. We're always looking for this big deed to do. Find something small that is easy for you to do and stick with it. Stick with it. All right. So it was the normal practice of the Prophet ﷺ to engage in dhikr after the salat. Jabir ibn Samura, he said, أَنَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ كَانَ إِذَا صَلَّى الْفَجْرِ جَلَسَ فِي مُصَلَّاهُ حَتَّى تَطْلُعَ الشَّمْسِ حَسَنَا وَحُسْنَا يعني تُلُوعٍ تَامًا that Jabir ibn Samara, he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would pray Salatul Fajr, and then he would sit in his musalla, the area where he prayed at, until the sun rose, making dhikr. He would sit after Salatul Fajr, making dhikr, all the way until the sun rose. All right, and this is a time of peace and tranquility, not to mention the reward that is attached to certain supplications. As the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I want you to listen to this hadith very quickly. I wrote the words, the trans... Literation, English, Arabic, Inglebic words on the board. On the authority of Abu Dhar, radiallahu anhu, who said that the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, Man qala dubra salat al-fajr, wa huwa thanin rijlayhi, qabla an yatakallam, la ilaha illallah, wahdahu la sharika la, lahu al-mulk, wa lahu al-hamd, yuhyi wa yumit, wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir. وهو على كل شيء قدير كتب الله سبحانه وتعالى له عشر الحسنات ومحي عنه عشر السيئات ورفع له عشر الدرجات وكان يومه ذلك في حرز من كل مكرو وحرص من شيطان ولم ولن ولم ينبغي لذنب أن يدركه في ذلك اليوم إلا الشرك بالله رواه الترمذي وصححه الألباني. الحديث was collected in the Jami of Tirmidhi and Sheikh Albani. Sheikh Muhammad Nasr al-Din al-Bani declared the hadith to be authentic. The Prophet said, whoever prays Salatul Fajr, you can make this your habit starting right now. Whoever prays Salatul Fajr, right? And then after he prays Salatul Fajr, while he's still sitting on his two legs, he has not moved. Before he says anything, before he says anything to anybody, it's usually after the salat, we turn, you know, giving salams to this brother. You just gave me salams. Why do we say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, brother? You just gave me the salams. You do not have to turn to the person to your right or to your left and shake their hand and give them the salams. You gave me the salam when you walked into the masjid. When you walked in, you said, Assalamu alaikum. And everybody returned the salam to you. You gave me the salam when you walked in the masjid. And you just gave me the salam when you made the taslim to your right and your left. How many times you got to give me the salam? You do not have to finish your prayer and then turn to the brother to your right, shake his hand, give him the salam, turn to the brother to your left. And someone's going to raise their hand and say, well, I was always taught that. Well, you was always taught wrong. Sorry. I know you are. Okay. And when we know better, we do better. It was wrong. There's nothing recorded in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that he used to do that. 
When you say Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, that is you giving the salams to your brothers on your right or your sisters on your right and your brothers and your sisters on your left. The angels are included in that. Assalamu alaikum. Kum is a damir, it is a pronoun which denotes plurality. You don't say assalamu alaikum, you say assalamu alaikum. Kum means you all. Yeah, we learn something new every day. <laughs> MashaAllah. So the Prophet said, whoever prays, prays Salatul Fajr. And then after he finishes, still sitting on his two legs, before he says anything. And he says, La ilaha illallah. There's nothing worthy of worship except Allah. Wahdahu la sharikala, alone without any partners. Lahul mulk, to him belongs the dominion. Walahul hamd, and to him belongs all the praise. Yuhyi wa yumit, he gives life and he gives death. Wahua ala kulli shayin qadir, and he has power over all things. Whoever says this ten times, ten times after Salatul Fajr, listen to the reward. He said, Kutiba lahu ashra hasanat. He will be written for him ten hasanat. And ten sins will be removed from your record. Ten sins removed from your record. People taking out notes now. No, I just wrote the letters up there so we can fill in the blanks now. So A is ten hasanat, ten good deeds added to your scale. B Ten sins will be removed from your slate. You will be elevated ten degrees closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are ten degrees closer to God than you were before you made that comment. Can, can somebody help her out? Because we, we need to move. I'm a moving train. You, you're going to stay with me or get ran over. Okay. So, inshallah, one of your sisters will help you out with that, okay? So, ten hasanat, ten sayyat removed. You are elevated, ashra darajat, elevated ten degrees closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wa kana min yawmihi hirzum min kulli makroo. And you will be protected from any harm coming to you on that day. You will be protected from shaitan, hirzum min shaitan, protected from shaitan. And no sin will harm you on that day except shirk. The only sin that can harm you on that day would be shirk. Because that's the only sin Allah does not forgive. The only sin that Allah does not forgive. Six things that come to you for making this comment ten times after Salatul Fajr. Something very simple. Very simple to say. Takes you every bit of four minutes to say that comment ten times. And look at all of the things that comes to you as a result of that. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he also said, "Man sallas al-fajr fi al-jama'a, thumma qada yadkur Allah, hatta tatlu al-shams, thumma salla rak'atain, kanat lahu ka'ajri hajja wa umra tam, tam, tam." The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Whoever prays salatul fajr, thumma qada, then sits down wa yadkur Allah to remember Allah, hatta tatlu al-shams until the sun rises." Then once the sun rises, he prays turaka'ah. Turaka'ah what? What salat is this? Salatul duha. Salatul duha. Whoever 
Praise the Lotto Fudger. Sits after Fudger until the sun rises. Makes dhikr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until the sun rises. And of course, making dhikr here is individually. There is no group dhikr. The Prophet وسلم, and his companions never sat in a circle after any salat to remember Allah in a group. Dhikr is ibadah, it is worship, it is an individual responsibility. The only time that we are allowed to make a group supplication is when the Imam is reciting the dua for the kunut in Salatul Witr or in Salatul Taraweeh. When the Imam makes the dua, we reply, Ameen. We don't reply, we don't repeat after the Imam, we just say, Ameen, which we are instructed to do at any time somebody makes a dua. The Prophet وسلم, said that if you make a dua and you say Ameen and your Ameen coincides with the Ameen of the angels, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you what you ask for. If the, if the angels say Ameen over your dua at the time that you say Ameen, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you what you ask for. But we're not, you know, there's no group dhikr, you know, dhikr jama'i. There's no group supplication. This is an, a, a bid'ah, this is an innovation in the religion that there is no salaf, there is no predecessor from the sahaba or the tabi'un, the atba'a tabi'een or atba'a tabi tabi'een, any of the three illustrious generations of this ummah that has ever done anything like that. None of them. Not one narration can anyone bring me from the Prophet وسلم, who is our uswa, who is our role model that he ever did that with any of his companions. And as Imam Malik Taala said about every innovation, that if there was any good in it, the Sahaba would have beaten us to it. Do you think that we are going to invent a new way to worship Allah that is better than any way that the Prophet وسلم, and the Sahaba did? La wallahi. La wallahi. So, the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever prays Salatul Fajr and then sits afterwards to remember Allah until the sun rises, this is individually. He said, and then after the sun rises, rumh, like the, the, the size of a spear's head in the, uh, in the sky, he said, and then he stands and he prays Turaqah, Salatul Duha. What is the reward? He will have the reward as if he made Hajj and Umrah. كَانَ لَهُ كَأَجْرِ حَجَّ وَعُمْرَةً تَامَّ 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 He said it three times. He will have the reward as if he made hajj and umrah, a complete hajj, a complete hajj, a complete hajj. Three times. You will have the reward as if you made hajj and umrah. And he emphasized it by saying you will have your complete reward, complete reward, complete reward, like a complete hajj, three times. And all you have to do is pray fajr, Sit after Fajr to make dhikr until the sun rises. Stand up, pray to Raka'ah, Duha, and you will have the reward as if you made Hajj or Umrah. This was the Prophet's practice every day. Not just in Ramadan. This was his habit every day to sit and make dhikr and remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Salatul Duha. D H U H A. Duha. D-H-U. Uh-huh. H-A. Duha. Then after sunrise, the Prophet ﷺ would carry, after he prayed his two rak'ah, duha, then he would carry on with his normal day. عن سماك بن حرب قال قلت لجابر بن سمرة أكنت تجالس رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يعني بعد الفجر قال نعم كثيراً 
that Simak ibn Harb, he asked one of the Prophet's companions, Jabir ibn Samara, he said, did you ever sit with the Prophet after he prayed Salatul Fajr? He want details. What was it like sitting with him and walking with him during his day? He said, Hal jalestam, Hal kunta to jalis Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Did you used to sit with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam after he prayed Salatul Fajr? And Jabir ibn Samara, he said, Naam, kathiran, yes, many times. He said, Kana la yakumu min musallahu alladhi yusalli fihi as-subh hatta tatlu al-shams. He said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would never get up from the place where he prayed. Salatul Fajr at, he would never get up from his place where he prayed until the sun rose. He said, فَإِذَا طَلَعَتْ He said, and when the sun rose, قَامَ قَامَ يَعْنِي يُصَلِّي رَكَعَتَيْنِ He would pray two raka'ah. وَكَانُوا يَتَحَدَّثُونَ فَيَأْخُذُونَ فِي أَمْنُ الْجَاهِلِيَّ فَيَضْحَكُونَ وَيَبْتَسِمْ He said, and then after he would pray his two raka'ah duha, he said then him and his companions, they would sit, they would talk, they would talk about some of the affairs of Jahiliyyah, and they would laugh and they would smile. Normal day. He would continue on, and all of this was in the masjid. So much so that some of the scholars say that this shows the permissibility of talking about even some of the affairs of the world, worldly affairs, even in the masjid. The Prophet and his companions would get up after he would pray Salatul Duha, and they would laugh and they would joke and they would talk about the affairs of what was going on in their social environment. Normal. Normal. Some of the older Muslims, when you see some of the younger Muslims, don't talk about worldly matters here. This is the masjid. This is the place of this house of Allah. It's like, okay, so where do you want me to go? <laughs> you want me to go outside to talk about this conversation? Obviously, there's a talk that is appropriate for the masjid, and there's talk that's not appropriate for the masjid. All right? But if you see two young Muslims and they're sitting down talking about how you know poor LeBron James game was the other night. You know how poor his game was, or how better somebody else's game was, right? We shouldn't scold them or yell at them or you know tell them you can't talk about that in the masjid. They were normal, and we have to learn how to humanize the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. All right, and this is important because by humanizing him. All right, this is how we connect with him. You can't connect as a human being with someone who is, you know, not a human. When someone is, you know, angelic, for lack of better words, how do you connect with somebody like that? You connect with people that are human. That's part of our human experience. We're able to connect with people because we have shared experiences and we're able to relate to them and we're able to connect with them. So when we humanize the Prophet we're able to connect with him. But when we see him as this angelic being, you know, that, you know, that was beyond what is normal for us as humans, it's hard for you to connect with somebody, which is why you'll find brothers or sisters make comments, well, I'm not the Prophet No, but you have the ability to, you know, exercise the same behavior that he exercised because he was a human being. As the Quraysh, they said about the Prophet Sallallahu and they said, what is with this prophet, this messenger? He eats food and walks in the marketplaces. <laughs> if Allah was going to send revelation to him, Allah should have sent an angel along with him to make his message more impactful. 
It's like, how is he a messenger and he walks through the marketplace and eat food? As if he's not human. As if he's not human. You know, we see the imam without a stove on. It's like, subhanAllah, I never see the imam without a stove on. It's like, all right, so, I mean, like, am I not a human being? Am I not allowed to have a normal life like everybody else? Everywhere I go, I got to wear a thobe. You got to see me in a thobe everywhere you go. Even if I'm at the park with my kids, even if I'm jogging, right, at the park, I got to have a thobe on. See me in a grocery store. It's like, oh, subhanAllah, I never seen you without a thobe on. It's like, okay, well, what's the nostalgia? Like, why are you so, <laughs> I'm a human being. I'm a regular person. Stop over-sensationalizing things. It's not that serious. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala retorted. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَمَا رَسَلْنَا قَبْلَكَ مِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ إِلَّا أَنَّهُمْ يَأْكُلُونَ الطَّعَامِ إِلَّا أَنَّهُمْ لَا يَأْكُلُونَ الطَّعَامَ وَيَمْشُونَ فِي الْأَسْوَاقِ Allah said, we never sent a messenger before you except that they used to eat food and walk in the marketplaces. They used to go shopping. They had families. They had, you know, children. They had to go buy things for in the marketplace. We never sent a messenger before you except they used to eat food and they used to walk in the marketplace. So it's important that we humanize the Prophet Wasallam to some degree so that we can make our connection with him more human. All right, and this was also the practice of the wives of the Prophet Wasallam as he conditioned his family to engage in a spiritual regimen that would continue with them throughout their lives, even after his demise. On the authority of Juwadiya, one of the wives of the Prophet Wasallam قالت أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم خرج من عندها بكرة حين صلى الصبح وهي في مسجدها ثم رجع بعد أن أضحى Pay attention to this. I just gave you the Prophet's regimen after Fajr. Now we're going to see an incident with his wife who's going to give us the same. This is how you know it was just so congruent, so connected. This is not something any human being could sit down and put together as a, as a religion, as an institution, a religious institution. No human being would be able to be able to put this stuff together. Juwadiyah, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, she said that the Prophet ﷺ would leave out of her home Bukratin in the morning to go pray Salatul Fajr. She said while she was in her masjid, and in her masjid meaning there was a place in the woman's home that they would designate for Salat. Everyone should have a place in their home that is designated for prayer. People know that this is the prayer area in my house. Our children should know in the home where to go when it's time to pray. All right, we have a designated prayer area in our house. That is where we go when we pray. So she said that while she was in her musalla, in her area of her house, she said the Prophet ﷺ would return back home after he prayed duha, and she was still sitting in the same place making dhikr. Juwadiyah said the Prophet ﷺ would leave out in the morning to go pray Salatul Subh, Salatul Fajr, while she was in her musalla area. She said, and he would not return back home until after he prayed Salatul Duha. She said, and when he returned back home on this occasion, she was still sitting there making dhikr. This is his wife, still sitting there making dhikr. So the Prophet ﷺ said to her, مَا زِلْتِ عَلَى الْحَالِ الَّتِي رَفَقْتُكِ عَلَيْهَا 
He said, you are still sitting in the same place that you were sitting when I left, making dhikr all of this time? قالت, نعم. She said, yes. He said, لَقَدْ قُلْتُ بَعْدَكِ أَرْبَعِ كَرِمَاتٍ ثَلَاثَ مَرَّاتٍ لَوْ وُزِنَتْ بِمَا قُلْتِ أَنْتِ مُنْذُ الْيَوْمِ لَوَزَنَتْهَا The Prophet ﷺ said, when I left you, I said four words three times that if it was weighed in comparison to all of the dhikr that you just sat here and made, it would outweigh all of the dhikr that you just made. When I left you, I said four words three times that is greater than all of the dhikr that you made, showing you the simplicity of Islam. It's not about burdening yourself sitting there for the whole time making dhikr. All right? It's about the quality of your dhikr, not the quantity of it. All right, and this is how the people of innovation, you know, they say, well, if you say this a hundred times, if you say this a thousand times, if you say Allahu Akbar or Allah or who, who a hundred times or a thousand times, you'll have X amount of, you know, women in paradise and Hurun'in and this and that. When you see narrations like that, be wary of those type of narrations. There's nothing authentic about narrations that are like that. Be very weary, especially most of the fabricated hadith are centered around the virtues of certain surahs. If you recite this surah this amount of times, or this surah and during this time, there are very few, very few hadith that are authentic with, with respect to reciting certain surahs after certain times. The vast majority of those narrations are fabricated hadith. Fabricated narrations, not authentic. But he said, I said four words after I left, I said four words three times, if it was to be weighed in comparison to all of the dhikr that you just sat here and made, it would outweigh all of your dhikr. All right? And those four words was, Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, adada khalqihi, rida nafsihi, wazina ta'arshihi, wa midad kalimati. Glory and praise, praise be to Allah, adada khalqihi, for the amount of his creation. Meaning Allah deserves to be praised and glorified the amount of his creation. Meaning from the creation of Adam all the way into the last not just the human being, but even the animals, even the insects. If you were to add up all of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation, Allah deserves to be praised and glorified more than the creation that he put. And Allah deserves to be praised with the type of, in a manner that is pleasing to him. No one knows how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves to be praised. Allah deserves to be praised the way that he is pleased with his own praise. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the weight of Allah's praise and uh, the weight of his praise and his glorification should be the weight of his throne. And the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the heaviest thing that he created. The heaviest thing in creation is the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves to be praised and glorified the extent of his words. And Allah subhanahu no one knows the extent of Allah's words. Allah gives a parable in the Quran that if all of the oceans were ink and all of the pins on the earth were pin, all of the trees on the earth were pins to write out the words of Allah, you would run out of ink before you could explain the words of Allah. Powerful. Just think about that for a second. Think about all of the oceans that we have in the world with seven other oceans added to it being ink and all of the trees on the earth being pins 
to write out the words of Allah, you would run out of ink before you could explain the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah's praise, Allah deserves to be praised and glorified beyond the extent of his words subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what Allah, this is what the Prophet sallallahu was saying to his wife. And you can find that dua, you can find that supplication in the fortress of the Muslim as well. Some of the things that is, we are allowed to do while we're fasting. I'll breeze through these really, really quickly. Number one is to use the miswak. The Prophet sallallahu while he was fasting in Ramadan and outside of Ramadan, he would use the miswak in his mouth. And the scholars deduce from that or deduct from that the permissibility of using toothbrush and toothpaste while you are fasting. On the authority of Amr ibn Rabi' ibn Ka'b, قَالَ رَأَيْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ يَسْتَاقُ وَهُوَ صَائِمْ مَا لَا أَعُدُ إِسْنَادُهُ حَسَنْ This hadith was collected until uh, Habir and it was declared to be Hassan, I mean good, um, where one of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, Amr ibn Rabi'ah, he said that I saw the Prophet ﷺ using the miswak while he was fasting more times than I could count. More times than I can count. I saw him while he was fasting with the miswak in his mouth. All right. So connected to this is the use of the toothbrush. All right. So as long as you can prevent the toothpaste from reaching your throat, you can spit it out. All right. The Prophet said, Balik Philistin Shaq, illa antakun sa'ima. To sniff the water up your nose very strongly, except when you are fasting. And when you're making wudu, you should not sniff the water up your nose because the passage from the nose to the throat are connected. And if you sniff too hard, you might swallow the water and invalidate your fast. So if it's not permissible for you to use or to make wudu and sniff it up your nose as hard as you normally would do, uh, and this is something that is obligatory, all right, then what do you think about using the toothbrush and toothpaste, all right, if in fact it is going to go down your throat? Mouthwash, I would stay away from it completely. Um, however, toothpaste, um, if you can get it off your tongue, get it out of your mouth without swallowing it, then it is permissible. And the foul odor of the fasting person is not the foul odor from a person not brushing his mouth. That foul odor is from nothing being in your stomach. And that odor is more pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the fragrance of musk. The Prophet sallallahu would also pour water over his head. Mind you, they lived in uh, Arabia, they lived in the desert, very hot, all right? Some of us may have jobs that require, you know, energy may require, you know, uh, for us to labor to a certain degree where we sweat. And in that case, you may pour water over your head, put water in your mouth and spit it out. As uh, Abi Bakr uh, said on the authority of Abdurrahman ibn Harith, an rajilan min ashabin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala, ra'aytu nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yasubbul maa ala ra'sihi imma min harrin wa imma min al-atish wa huwa sa'im. And this hadith was collected in the Sunan of Abu Dawood and it was declared authentic by Shaykh al-Albani, rahimahullah ta'ala. Oh, one of the companions said, I saw the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam pour water over his head, uh, uh, pour water over his head, either due to thirst or either due to the hot weather while he was fasting. All right, so to pour water over your head. And in some instances, pour water in your mouth and swish it around and spit it out. There's nothing wrong with this. Okay. Uh, kissing your wife while fasting. Here again, normalizing behavior or normalizing the behavior of the Prophet 
عن عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقبل ويباشر وهو صائم وكان أملككم لإربه وفي رواية قالت كان يقبل في رمضان وهو صائم Aisha anha, she said that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, used to kiss his wives and would hug them and be close with them while he was fasting and he had more self-control than any of you men. In another narration, she said that the Prophet وسلم, would kiss his wives in the month of Ramadan while he was fasting. While he was fasting. And another narration mentioned in Sahih Muslim on the authority of Umar Ibn Abi Salama. Umar Ibn Abi Salama was the stepson of the Prophet Sallallahu Umar Ibn Abi Salama was the stepson of the Prophet Sallallahu He was the son of Um Salama, who was the Prophet's wife. All right, but that wasn't the Prophet's son. That was Abu Salama's son. But when Abu Salama died, the Prophet Sallallahu married him. So this is a relationship between stepson and stepfather. So Umar, he goes to the Prophet Sallallahu and says, أَيُقَبِّلُ الصَّائِمُ فَقَالَ نَبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ سَلْ هَذِهِ يَعْنِي أُمَّهُ أُمْ سَلَمَ فَأَخْبَرَتْهُ أَنَّ الرَّسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ كَانَ يُقَبِّلُهَا وَيَفْعَلُ ذَلِكَ فَقَالَ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهُ قَدْ غَفَرَ اللَّهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِن ذَنْبِكَ وَمَا تَأَخَّرَ فقال له النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أما والله إني لا أتقاكم وأخشاكم لله. Umar ibn Abi Salama, the stepson of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, came to him one day and said, "O Messenger of Allah, can a fasting person kiss his wife?" This shows you the respect level that the stepson had for the stepfather. And that he still viewed him as the messenger of Allah, still had reverence and respect for him, unlike what you find in many households where there's stepchildren and the stepchild has absolutely no respect for the stepfather. And I represent that because stepfathers, those who do the right thing by their stepchildren, they get it the worst. They spend their money, they spend their time and their energy with a child that in many instances is ungrateful. And when the no good biological father comes around, he gets all of the praise and everything. The stepfather gets nothing. That's not fair. We celebrate Father's Day. What about stepfathers? Taking, stepping in, taking care of children that don't belong to him. These are not his biological children. He is not obligated in any way, shape, or form to take care of those children, Islamically or otherwise. Yet, they fill in. They fill in the blanks when the biological father is a no-show. No call, no show, no nothing. Yet, when he goes to daddy's house on the weekend, daddy is everything, the end-all, be-all. Yet he's never there. It's not there for school events, not there for homework, not there when he needs to ride a bike, not there when he wants to go to the park, not there when he wants to go swimming, not there when he you know, needs to learn how to tie his shoe, those intimate moments when the biological father should be there. The stepfather's there. Yet, and some of you sisters, subhanAllah, you help with that, that disrespect. You're telling the stepfather, well, he's not your son. He just ought to be my son. I do every daggone thing for him. And you have the audacity to stand me in my face and tell me that's not your son. He just ought to be my son. His biological father ain't doing nothing for him. 
How dare you? And sometimes even in front of the children, you disrespect the biological, you disrespect the step-parent, your husband. And in some instances, sisters are divorced because you choose your husband or you choose your, your child over your husband. This is my son. I'm not putting my son out. Your son smoking weed in the house. Your son being disrespectful in the home. The father says, I pay the bills here. You got to go. You're not putting my son out. Husband says, it's me or your son. And you choose your son all day, every day over your husband. Then you're in the master looking for another husband. Ain't nobody tolerating that, man. Nobody tolerating that. The disrespect, putting your feet on the couch, eating food, you don't buy nothing in the house. Man, nobody tolerating that. And nobody marrying you with that situation. You might as well marry your son because that's your baby boy. I'm, I'm dead serious, man. That stuff is, is corny and it's, it has to stop. That disrespect the father. These brothers don't have to do that, man. They don't have to do that. And we give those children the ammunition to destroy, to help effeminize the stepfather who's stepping in doing the right thing. The woman constantly chipping away at you, trying to make you just like her. Trying to make you a coward to your responsibilities. Chipping away at you. The only thing you're good for is paying rent. You don't have a voice in your house. Like Sola with that Jola. You can't open your mouth and say nothing about what's going on in the home. And we empower these children to disrespect the parents. This is from the signs of the last day. The Prophet said one of the signs of the hour is that a woman, slave woman, will give birth to her own master. And that's when your children become the parents. The children become the parents. Children call the shots in the home now. You can't tell me to shut up. You're not my father. I don't want to go no further because I'm, I'm telling you, man, this stuff, man, this stuff is, is, is sad, man. It's sad because these brothers, they tolerate a lot, man, and they don't have to. They tolerate with your mouth and your disrespect and the disrespect of your disrespectful children. And they don't have to do that. They can easily go out and find somebody that don't have any children and be happy. Kind of hard to find something that ain't got no kids. No, nah, they out there. Trust me. They out there. Non-Muslim women will convert. Non-Muslim women will convert. <laughs> All right. You keep thinking that we, we ain't got no options. We got options. <laughs> you the one that don't got no options. You stuck with... The Muslim men, <laughs> your pool is real shallow. <laughs> your pool real shallow. You don't have you. You have limit limited options. <laughs> I ain't talking about those type of brothers. They not even included in this discussion. I'm talking about real men. Don't bring those type of dudes in our conversation. We're not even talking about them. <laughs> so. Omar ibn Abi Salama, he asked the Prophet Sallallahu can a fasting man kiss his wife? This is a stepson coming to the stepfather for knowledge about the religion. And the Prophet Sallallahu looked at him and said, Sal hadihi, ask her, can the fasting man kiss his wife? Ask her, meaning his mother. What was the Prophet Sallallahu trying to do? 
wanted to show this young man how to be a man to your wife, even when you're fasting. He asked, can a fasting man kiss his wife? The prophet said, ask your mother. Go ask your mother. And he went and he asked his mother, Um Salama, can you know, and she said that no, the Prophet kissed me, used to kiss me while he was fasting. We shy away from these type of conversations in the home, but these conversations are necessary. These conversations are necessary in the home. And then Umar, he went to the Prophet and said, Oh, that Messenger of Allah, but you have been forgiven for your past and your future sins. Meaning maybe that was just specific for the Prophet Sallallahu He said, no, it's not that I've been forgiven for my past and future sins, but I am the most fearful of Allah from amongst you. I wasn't, that's not a luxury Allah just gave me. I worked for that. I am the most fearful of Allah from amongst you. I fear Allah more than any of you. That's not a pass. And I'll end with this last hadith. قَدْ رَوَى الْبَيْحَقِ عَنُ رَجْلٍ مِنَ الْأَنْصَارِ أَنَّ رَجْلٍ قَبَّلَ إِمْرَأَتَهُ وهو صائم فوجد من ذلك وجدا شديدا فأرسل امرأته تسأل عن ذلك Imam al-Bayhaqi he mentioned in his sunan that a man from the Ansar kissed his wife and he felt a little uncomfortable about that while he was fasting in Ramadan kissed his wife and he was a little uncomfortable with that so he sent his wife to go ask one of the wives of the Prophet about this issue kissing his wife so when a woman got to uh, um Salama, Um Salama informed her that the Messenger of Allah used to kiss me while he was fasting in Ramadan. Not a big deal. Don't make a big deal out of it. So when a woman went back to her husband, فَرَجَعَتِ الْمَرْأَ إِلَى زَوْجِهَا فَأَخْبَرَتْهُ فَزَادَهُ ذَارِكَ الشَّرًّا وَقَالَ لَسْنَا مِثْلَ الرَّسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يُحِلُّ اللَّهُ لِرَسُولِهِ مَا شَاءَ So when a woman came back and told her husband, Um Salama said that the Prophet used to kiss her. He became angry and upset and he said, well, we're not like the Prophet. We're not like him. Allah has facilitated everything for him in this religion. You know, we're not like him. That Allah makes permissible for him whatever Allah wills. You still didn't get me the answer to my question. This wasn't the only time that someone took issue with the Prophet ﷺ and things that were made permissible for him, even his own wife took issue with him on this issue, right? Aisha said, Kuntu ugar wahabna anfusahunna li Rasulillah. Aisha said, I used to get so jealous when women would walk up to the Prophet وسلم, and just offer themselves in marriage to him. She said, I used to get so jealous and upset when women would walk up to the Prophet وسلم, anfusahunna they would offer themselves in marriage, like the hadith where the woman said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, do you have any desire for me? You know? And sometimes these women would do this right in front of his wives, you know, just no respect. And Aisha said, I used to get so jealous when women would do that to the Prophet. ﷺ. And then Allah revealed the ayah from the Quran Turji man tasha min hunna wa tu'wi ilayhi man tasha. You can marry any woman you choose that offers, them, offers themselves to you or deny to marry or refuse to marry any woman you choose. So Allah has given him a pass to either marry any one of these women or not marry them. So Aisha said to the Prophet ﷺ, Kultu, ara rabbaka yusari'uka yusari'u fi hawaka. She said, your Lord is always so quick to help you satisfy your desires. Out of jealousy, you know, they say a drunken mind speaks so hard. 
she took issue with them. She's like, you know, like I just see every time, you know, Allah always reveal ayats that help you, you know, fulfill your desires. Your Lord is so quick to always reveal an ayat, giving you a pass to do something, right? Nonetheless, the scholars say that uh, Aisha, it would have been better for her to say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is quick in helping him satisfy his, the things that he likes, as opposed to saying his desires, as we know that the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't speak out of his own desires. All right, he didn't do anything based upon his own desires. Even sometimes when women would offer themselves to him, he would decline. So if it was purely out of desire, he would have been married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. There was none of that. Even he married a woman, and when he was coming to consummate the marriage, the woman said, I seek refuge with Al Rahman, I seek refuge with Allah. And the Prophet sallallahu said, لَقَدْ بِكَبِيرٌ That you have sought refuge with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the most magnificent. Go home to your family. He didn't take it because it was, he was married to her, the, the consummation period. If it was solely about following his desires, he would have just consummated it right there. As many men do, they marry a woman, they know they don't want to be with her, but consummation is right there in front of you. I'm a consummated and afterwards I decide, mm, this ain't going to really work. Then why did you consummate it? You knew it wasn't going to work before, but you took advantage. That's purely desire. That's hawa. That is desire, man following his desire. So the Prophet ﷺ clarified to the woman that, yes, he did kiss his wives while he was fasting. Sure. Yeah.